Have you ever had your knowledge or your authority challenged? Knowing what you know, you know to be true. And having someone tell you you're wrong, it's insulting and it's exasperating. Especially if the knowledge you possess, the guidance you're offering, would better the life of the other person if they would just listen to you. Each week, through Stone Village's state identification ministry, we provide a means of identity for about 30 to 40 people. And of those individuals, at least one person, one person each week will challenge my knowledge and my authority of a ministry I created. It is mine. It's mine. It is here to help those in need, and yet I will be challenged each week by at least one. The challenge is almost always around the acceptable documents one needs to prove their identity. You cannot simply walk into the Bureau of Motor Vehicles and request a state ID. You have to have supporting documents to prove who you are. And the only ministry requirement that we have is that individuals come to Stone Village with their documents in hand. It's a way of ensuring that those in need actually can receive the identification card, and it reduces any angst later on at the BMV. So each week before I begin issuing our vouchers, I go over the acceptable documents. I even provide a handout from the BMV that clearly lists in black and white all acceptable documents that an individual can utilize to prove their identity. The ministry design is so simple. The requirement so clear. And the benefit potentially life-changing. So this last week, I had a young woman hand me a CODA bus card to prove her identity. I asked the young woman if she had other documents. She didn't. I then explained to her that a, a CODA bus card was not an acceptable document to prove your identity. She disagreed with me. She then pointed to the word Ohio printed on her CODA bus card. And she told me that this card was issued by the state of Ohio. I pointed to the card and I said, CODA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority, is a private sector organization. It has no affiliation with the BMV or the federal government. And so this card is not actually a valid document to prove your identity. She was sitting where Desiree is. Girlfriend blew up like the Hindenburg. Blew up. Blew up. I was scared for my life. 
no matter what I said to her, she would not listen to me. Even with the BMV handout in hand, in a room full of people with their proper documents, she was adamant that she was correct. And that my knowledge of, of my own ministry, this very simple, non-complicated, justice-focused ministry, was wrong. I was wrong. Eventually, she and I agreed to disagree. And she left Stone Village in anger. And as she was leaving, she renamed me. My first name is now Mother. And my new last name I will leave to your imagination. In her wake, as I stood here, doing breath exercises, because my blood pressure was gone. I mean, it was in the stratosphere. And I imagined this is what Jesus must have felt like during his life in ministry. In that, Jesus was constantly having his knowledge questioned, as well as his authority challenged. No matter what he said or did or offered, from his disciples to the temple priest, no one ever seemed to really listen to him, to ingest his words, to bear witness to his actions in real time, and to allow his living to inspire their own lives in real time. He was always being scrutinized and put to the test. And even when he answered his questioners correctly, providing them with clear and conceivable answers, he was always wrong. Always wrong. It's really startling when you consider Jesus offered and and still offers a very simple ministry construct, a very uncomplicated means of being in holy relationship with God. He took 613 commandments in the law and whittled those 613 commandments down to two. Just two. Talk about type A personality. You shall love the Lord your God with, your, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 613 down to two. How could you possibly argue with the guy? Seriously. Think of all the free time they now have. Gone are all the regimented codes and laws concerning worship and sacrifice and and physical purity. Gone are all those restrictions on shellfish and polycotton blends. Gone are all those tedious limitations on who is and is not worthy of God. So simple, so straightforward, and yet he was continually put to the test. Why? 
as was true then, is also true for us today. In that, the love that Jesus speaks to is not about feeling, but stubborn, unwavering commitment to God. You could say a God-first way of, of living. And to love the neighbor, including our enemies and those different from ourselves, does not mean affection for them, but to imitate God in taking their needs, their life, seriously. Least we forget that every one of us comes into this world naked and helpless. And most of us will leave this world in the same condition. And we are dependent upon one another every single day in between. Love your neighbor. So to embrace Jesus' words, those two commandments, his very simple ministry construct, is to embrace change. A change of perspective, a change of priority, a change of action, a change of of heart. Yet people fear change. And when you fear a thing, you dismiss it. You challenge it. You doubt it. And sometimes you even crucify it. That's what the temple priest and the Roman Empire did. They didn't want to change. They wanted to remain in power. They wanted to maintain the status quo. And so they crucified what they feared, rather than dwelling in the possibility of knowing life differently. The truth is, we've all put Jesus to the test. Every one of us. We've dismissed him, we've challenged him, we've doubted him when life didn't unfold as we had planned, when the path was too hard, when our prayers weren't answered, or when we experienced pain and loss so strongly that we didn't know if we could take our next breath. We've all put Jesus to the test. And that's okay. Jesus can take it. He can take our fears, our questions, and our challenges. In fact, it is through our trials and our doubts that we come to know God, our need for God, and God's love for us more intimately. It's when dialogue stops, when we cease asking questions, that relationship is truly over. We've all put Jesus to the test, and that's okay. Jesus' prime objective was to reconcile humanity to God. And to achieve his objective, he offered a very simple ministry construct. Love of God and love of neighbor. He didn't promise that life would be easy or avoid of pain and, and disappointment, He did promise we wouldn't go through life alone if we had the courage to listen to him, if we had the courage to change, if we had the courage to do our part and meet God in a place of love. 
I wonder the next time you're preparing to put Jesus to the test, and you will, if you would consider how well you would do if the roles were reversed. In that, Jesus becomes the test giver, and you become the test taker. Let's try. Let's have a little pop quiz. In chapter 25 of Matthew's Gospel, we find a few questions that I think would be on that test. I'm going to ask you the questions. You answer them yes or no silently. You ready? Have you invested your talents in God's creation? Have you fed the hungry? Have you clothed the naked? Have you visited the imprisoned? Have you anointed God with devotion and loyalty? In short, have you loved your neighbor in loving God? And have you loved God in loving your neighbor? How well did you do? Anyone have 100%? I'm not raising my hand like I do, but anyone here have 100%? 90%? 80%? 50%? It's much harder to take a test than to give a test, isn't it? Amen.